Namaskaram. Today I'm going to be talking about um, verse 16 of uh, Upadesha Saram. Um, as I had explained earlier, verses, um, well, the first two verses are about karma. Then from verses uh, 3 to 10 or 3 to 9 is about the path of bhakti. Um, 10 is a summation of all the paths. 11 to 15 is about the path of yoga. From verse 16 onwards, uh, we come to the real teachings of Bhagavan, the real core teachings of Bhagavan, which is the path of jnana, uh, which is the pinnacle of the path of bhakti, as he made clear in verse 8 of Upadeshundia, where he said, better than taking God to be something other than ourselves and meditating on him or worshipping him accordingly, meditating on him as not other than ourselves, with the understanding that he is I, that is best of all. That is the most purifying of all the practices. So the, the path of bhakti culminates in this path of vichara. So this path of vichara is the pinnacle of the path of bhakti. Without bhakti, we cannot, we, we, we wouldn't even be inclined to come to this path. This is the path of complete self-surrender. Um, so Bhagavan begins to talk about that from verse uh, 16. Um, in verses 11 to 15, or rather 11 to 14 to be more precise, he's talking because 15 is like a, a he's summarizing um, and he's actually talking about the uh, final goal rather than the path. Um, in verses um, 11 to 14, he shows how the path of yoga can lead only to layer. If the path of yoga on its own can lead only to layer. In order to bring about nasa, before allowing the mind to subside in layer, we need to send it on the one path, the path of investigation or um, um, Eka Chintana, as he says in Sanskrit, thought of the one. The one means uh, the, the one that actually exists, namely Abhmasarupa, uh, our own real nature. So he shows there how the, 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 the path of yoga can lead to this, it can lead to this path, but it is, in itself, it is not a complete path in itself. Yoga. As Patanjali defined it at the beginning of Yoga Sutra, yoga's chitta vritti nirodaha. That means yoga is withdrawing the mind. Uh, well, uh, well, yoga is, 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 is curbing the mental activity. We curb the mental activity by withdrawing the mind from other things. But merely withdrawing the mind from other things is not sufficient because every night when we fall asleep, our mind is withdrawn from everything else. And we thereby fall asleep. But that is only mano layer. That is not mano nasa. In order to bring about mano nasa, it's not sufficient. It's necessary to withdraw the mind from everything else, but it's not sufficient. In order to bring about mano nasa, the mind, not the attention not only needs to be withdrawn from other things, it needs to be focused keenly on ourselves. That is what Bhagavan is implying here in this 16th verse. Um, I'll first uh, read the Tamil version, because Tam the Tamil version is particularly clear. The Tamil version begins, 
with a um, with an adverbial clause. Adverbial clause means it's just a subsidiary clause. It's not the main point. So the adverbial clause is veli videangale vitu. Veli means external. Videangale means vidyam is a Tamil form of a Sanskrit word vishaya. So videangale uh, means vishayas uh, uh, plural. Um, so vitu uh, means uh, leaving or letting go of. So giving or giving up, giving up all external phenomena or leaving aside all external phenomena. Um, and then the main clause is manam tan oliuru ordele unme unichiam. The subject is manam tan oliuru ordele. That means the mind knowing its own form of light. That alone is unme unichi, is true awareness, real awareness or awareness of reality, we can take that away, but it amounts to the same thing. That is, being aware of what is real, is real awareness. Um, and real awareness means being aware only of what is real, and what is real is only awareness, as he clarifies later in verse 23. Um, so, but as I say, the main clause here is, he's saying the mind knowing its own form of light, its own form of light, means the light of pure awareness, but is ever shining in the mind as I. That is, uh, that is what we need to know. Knowing that alone is, is, is real awareness. When we, withdraw, when we focus our whole attention on ourself alone, on our form of light, we are thereby withdrawing our attention from other things. But if we merely withdraw our attention from other things without focusing it on ourselves, the form of light, we will subside in layer. So uh, it, it's, that's why Bhagavan puts as an adverbial clause. The main clause is manam, the mind knowing its own form of light is true awareness. The Sanskrit is a very, very close uh, translation of this. What he says in the Sanskrit is drisya varitam means kept back from drisya, from what is seen. That is, uh, means the same as Veli Vedengali Vittu. Um, chittam, Atmanaha, Chitva Darshanam. The mind, Chittam, uh, seeing Darshanam, its own consciousness, its own nature as consciousness. Uh, Atmanaha, Chittam, Chitva, Chitva, sorry. That is Tattva Darshanam. That is seeing what is real. Um, uh, so the, the, the meaning of the whole verse is uh, kept back from what is seen. That means the mind kept back from what is seen. The mind seeing its own awareness or its own knowingness is seeing what is real. So, so the mind seeing its own chitva is tattva darshanam. Um, this verse if we, if we read it in the light of the Tamil verse, it's very, very clear that this is what it means. However, not everyone, even learned people who, uh, who know Sanskrit very well, have misinterpreted this verse because not understanding Bhagavan's teachings uh, clearly. That is, uh, it has been misinterpreted by some very learned people as the mind kept back from, uh, from Drisya is knowing chitva, is knowing its own chitva. Uh, 
That is tattva darshanam. That is a misinterpretation because that implies that keeping the mind away from drishya is itself sufficient to see um, a chitva, and seeing chitva is, is seeing the reality. That is not what Bhagavan means because keeping the mind back from drishya on its own is the path of yoga. That is, um, that is uh, yoga's chitta vritti niroda. That is chitta vritti niroda means keeping the attention away from all other things. But that is not sufficient. That's why Bhagavan puts that as an adverbial clause. The main clause is the mind seeing its own chitva is tattva darshanam. Um, so it's very important, but that's why um, the, the Sanskrit is written in a very terse way. I, since learned people have misinterpreted it, I assume that the Sanskrit gives room for such misinterpretation, but that is not what Bhagavan means. So we need to understand correctly what Bhagavan means. We, that, that's why to understand any of Bhagavan's teachings, we need to understand them in the context of his whole teaching. If we take a verse out of context, and without knowing the other teachings of Bhagavan, we, we may misinterpret it. But if we know all of Bhagavan's teachings, we will clearly know Bhagavan taught, but merely withdrawing the mind from other things can at best lead only to layer. But layer is useless. Layer is just like sleep. We don't get any benefit. Even if, even if you go into Nivikalpa Samadhi for 300 years, as Bhagavan told the story of a yogi who... Um, by the practice of yoga, he was able to go into Nivikalpa Samadhi for a prolonged period of time. Once he went into Nivikalpa Samadhi so deeply that he remained in that state for 300 years. When he woke up, the first thing he asked for was the last thing he had asked for before going into Nivikalpa Samadhi, mainly, namely water. So Bhagavan explained that when even the most superficial thought in his mind was not destroyed in spite of remaining in Nivikalpa Samadhi for 300 years. What about all the deeply embedded uh, vasanas? It's obvious they obviously cannot be destroyed. Just like vasanas are not destroyed in sleep, they're not destroyed in Nivikalpa Samadhi. But vasanas can be destroyed only in waking and dream by our fixing our attention on our own chitva, on our own awareness. That means uh, on the on our fundamental awareness, I am. Because when we, when we fix our attention on I am, we are refraining from allowing ourselves to be swayed by our vishaya vasanas, which are our inclinations to attend to other things. So long as we have inclinations to attend, so, so long as we allow ourselves to attend to other things, we are feeding those inclinations. When we don't allow ourselves to be swayed by those inclinations, we are thereby strengthening the sattvasana, the inclination just to attend to our own being, and weakening the vishayavasana, the inclination to attend to anything else. So this can be achieved only in the waking state, and it can be achieved most, most effectively by this simple practice of self-investigation. So what Bhagavan teaches us in this verse he, he's teaching us, the, the as in so many verses, he's teaching us here the practice of self-investigation. What is the practice of self-investigation? 
obviously, in order to investigate ourselves, we need to withdraw our mind from other things. But merely withdrawing our mind from other things is not sufficient. We need to focus our attention on ourselves. So we can forget about other things. We don't even have to worry about withdrawing our mind from other things. All we need to be concerned about is focusing our attention on ourselves. Because to the extent we focus our attention on ourselves, we are thereby automatically withdrawing it from other things. This is why Bhagavan says in, um, in the sixth paragraph of Nana, Etane ennangal erinomena, however many thoughts arise, so what? So Bhagavan doesn't want us to be concerned about thoughts. He doesn't want us to try to prevent the thoughts. He doesn't want us to engage in chittabriti nirodaha. All he says is, forget about thoughts, attend to yourself. If you attend to yourself, unknowingly you're automatically withdrawing your attention from everything else because you can't, to the, to the extent to which we attend to ourselves, we are thereby withdrawing our attention from other things. So all Bhagavan was concerned about, he wasn't concerned about thoughts, he wasn't concerned about anything. He was concerned that we should attend to ourselves to the extent possible. The more we attend to ourselves, the more our attention is automatically withdrawn from other things. That's why he put this... Um, this, this drisya varitam, kept back from what is seen, is just, is, well, I don't know what, it, grammatically, I don't know how it stands in, San, in Sanskrit. In Tamil, the equivalent is an adverbial clause. I imagine it means more or less the same. In, it's more or less an adverbial clause in, um, in Sanskrit. Kept back from what is seen. That is, mind has to be kept back from what is seen. How is it kept back from what is seen? By its merely seeing its own knowingness, by seeing its own chitva, it is thereby um, uh, keep it being kept back from other things. Because if we attend to ourselves, we're not attending to, our, to the extent we attend to ourselves, we are not attending to other things. So here, Bhagavan, this, this verse 16, this is the beginning of uh, Bhagavan's description of the path of, of jnana. This is a very, very, um, a very compact and a very complete description of what is the practice. It is simply a matter of keeping our attention, of, of focusing our attention on ourselves and thereby withdrawing it from other things. That is all that is required. To the extent to which we attend to ourselves, we are there. We are thereby seeing what we actually are. That's why, and when we attend to ourselves so keenly, but we actually see what we, when we see ourselves as we actually are, that is seeing, that is tattva darshan, that is seeing what is real. What is tattva? Tattva is a very interesting word. Tattva literally means thatness. So, uh, um, uh, that miss implies what actually exists or is real. In different systems of philosophy, they have different, um, they enumerate different tattvas, that is basic ontological principles. In, in Sankhya, there are, I don't know, some 24 uh, tattvas. In some other systems of philosophy, in uh, Kashmir Shaivism, some 36 or, or something. I don't, I don't know. Every system of philosophy has its own classification of what is, how many tattvas there are. According to Bhagavan, there is one tattva and one tattva alone. As he says in uh, Akshramlai, in, um, in, uh, 
verse 40, uh, 43 of Akshon Rai, he says, Tane, Tane, Tatvam. Uh, tane, Tan means oneself. Tane is an intensified form of oneself, so it means oneself alone. So, Tane, Tane, we can either take it to mean for further stress, he's saying oneself alone, oneself alone is a reality, or we can take it to mean oneself alone is oneself, that is the reality. But whichever way we take it, it amounts to the same. According to Bhagavan, there is only one tattva, and that is ourself. Tattva means reality, what is real. The only thing that is real is ourself. And then he goes on in this verse of Akram Light, this verse 43, to say, Idane tane kartuvayaranachala. You yourself reveal this to me. That is in the first uh, sentence, tane tane. Tane is referring to ourself. Here, tane in the second sentence is referring to Aranachala because tan can refer to either the first person, second person, or third person. So in the first sentence, it was referring to our, our own self. We are self of a reality. And who is to reveal this to, me, to us? Naturally, himself is to reveal this to us. And he reveals this to us because he himself is that tattva. He's always shining in our heart as I. So by shining in our heart as I uh, and drawing our mind inwards to see himself, he thereby, um, he thereby reveals himself. As as uh, as the reality, as our own self. That's why, in the next verse, he goes on to say, um, Bhagavan. In the next verse, verse forty-four of Akshamlai, Bhagavan reveals to us what Arunachala taught him. But Arunachala obviously didn't teach him words because Arunachala is in the form of a mountain. Arunachala teaches in silence. So what Arunachala taught Bhagavan in silence. Because we are too dull to, to, to uh, listen to that silence, teaching that is ever going on in our heart, Bhagavan translated it into simple human language for us. He, that is what Arunacha taught him is, Tirumbi uh, aham, that means turning within. Tane dinam ahakankan, seeing yourself daily, that means constantly, with the inner eye. So seeing ourselves daily is what he refers to in this verse as manam tanoli urodale, mind knowing its own form of life or light or chitva darshanam. So, sorry, um, chittam uh, atmanaha uh, chitva uh, darshanam, the mind seeing its own uh, form of consciousness. That's what he's referring to here is seeing ourselves with the inner eye. Terium, it will be known. So if we con are constantly turning our attention within to see who am I, then this truth will be revealed. Uh, Thus you said, my Aranachala. So what Aranachala taught Bhagavan in silence, Bhagavan taught us in words. And but what the, that teaching is, we must turn our attention back within and see ourselves constantly. That is what is implied in this, um, in this uh, 16th verse of Upadesha Saram. Uh, um, the mind seeing its own chitva, that means the mind turning within to face its own fundamental awareness, I am. 
That is seeing what is real, because that chitva is itself tattva. It's the only thing that is real. The fundamental awareness I am, that is what is actually real. So this is, um, this is the, the path that uh, Bhagavan um, taught us. Uh, it's very, very simple. We simply need to withdraw our attention from other things and focus our attention on ourselves. But in order to do so, we need all-consuming love. So love is the key to success in this path. Um, are there any questions or should I uh, go on to talk about other verses? Michael, there is a question from Mr. Sanjay Lohia. I yes. shall read the question. Quote, yes. Is there any distinction between karma vasana and vishay vasana? Unquote. Vasana means inclination. Karma vasana therefore means inclination to do actions. Why do we do actions? What is it that drives us to do actions? We all, all effort of all jivas is for one thing and one thing alone. We are all, as Bhagavan made clear in the first paragraph of Nana, we are all seeking happiness. The one, the one thing that motivates all our efforts is our desire for happiness. However, we wrongly believe happiness is we our, our happiness or misery is caused by external circumstances. So we think if I achieve this, if I get this, then I'll be happy. If I avoid that, I'll be happy. So our attention is going outwards. Believing the source of happiness is outside ourselves. That is where we go wrong. Happiness is our own real nature. So we can find happiness only in our heart. So all our actions are driven by our, 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 our love for happiness, our love to be happy. And we, the reason we do actions, actions, Action means of mind, speech, and body. Why do we do actions of mind, speech, and body? Because we think, we believe, but if we get this or that, if, we are, if I acquire more knowledge, I'll be happier. If I, if I study all of Vedanta and I become an expert in Vedanta, or if I uh, study nuclear physics and become an expert in that, by acquiring more knowledge, I'll be happy. Some people believe. Other people believe, but um, they, they can find happiness by... Some people, for example, they enjoy singing. They find a fulfillment in singing. So by action of speech, they are seeking happiness. Or, or some people like to give long lectures, so they find happiness in, in giving long lectures. Other people seek happiness in material things. So for that, you need to work. You need to do actions of body to accumulate wealth. So we all our actions, whatever the actions may be, they are all driven by our search for happiness. So because we believe happiness lies in vishayas, we do actions to acquire those vishayas that we think will contribute to our happiness and to avoid those vishayas that we think will make us unhappy. So the, the driving force behind every karma is a vishaya vasana. So it. We, we, we can explain the relationship between karma vasana and vishaya vasana in various ways. We can say, for example, we can say the, the, the karma vasana is like the outer shell and the heart of that, uh, the outer shell of a nut. 
the inside of the nut, the kernel, is the Vishayabha, is the Vishayabhasana. That's one way of describing it, because it is, but within every karma bhasana, there's a Vishayabhasana, because we do karma seeking Vishayas. But the simplest way of all to say it is that it's just a different way of describing the same thing. That is, the Vishayabhasanas manifest as karma bhasanas because the vishayas because because of our inclination to experience vishayas prompts us to do actions in order to experience those vishayas so really karma bhasanas and vishaya bhasanas in effect they are the same or even if you take them as slightly different they 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 are inseparable that is if so long as we have Vishayabhasanas, uh, the Vishayabhasanas prompt us to do actions. So really they are the same. It's, it, it's simplest to take them as the same because can we, can we distinguish the, the inclination to enjoy a certain pleasure from the inclination to do an action to enjoy that pleasure? If we want, we can, we can distinguish them, but really they are indistinguishable. It's, it's, they're two sides of the same coin. So long as we have Vishayabhasanas, those Vishaya Vasanas will manifest as Karma Vasanas. So, truly speaking, there is no difference. It's the Vishaya Vasanas that makes the mind go out towards external things, to, towards Drisya. Our aim is to turn the mind back within. Turning the mind back within is not an action, it is a cessation of action. So, by we turn the mind back within, under the sway of satvasana, the, the liking to seek, the inclination to seek happiness in our own being, that is satvasana. That is not a karma vasana. Vishaya vasanas are all karma vasanas. So if we are to follow Bhagavan's path, we are trying to turn our attention within to see our own chitva, our own oliyuru, our own form of light. In other words, that fundamental awareness I am. Turning our attention within thus is not an action, it is just being. Allowing our attention to go outwards towards what is towards drisya, what is seen, or anything, any vishaya, that is action. So I hope that clarifies matter. In, in, in summary, essentially, vishaya vasanas and karma vasanas are the same thing. It's just two different ways of describing the same thing. Because when we seek happiness in things other than ourselves, we can, we can seek that happiness only by doing actions. So it's really not, it's really, they're inseparable. Just two ways of describing the same thing. I hope that answers that question adequately. Thank you, sir. It does. Thank you. Are there any other questions? There are none on either this uh, platform or on YouTube, Michael. So you okay, like so I, I will go on then to the, to the next verse. Um, that is verse 17. This is also a very, very important uh, verse. Um, again, I will, um, I will read the Tamil version and then the Sanskrit version. Um, what Bhagavan says in the Tamil version is Manatin Uruve Maravadu Chaba Manamenum Ondrile Undipara Markum Ne Akum Idundipara. That means uh, 
Manatin Uruve Maravadu Chava means when one investigates the form of mind without forgetting. What does he mean here by the form of mind? Simplest way to explain it, he, in the previous verse he talked about the, the mind knowing its own form of light. So we can take the form of mind here to mean the mind's form of light. Its form of light means its fundamental awareness, I am. That is, uh, that's the, the easiest way to take it here. If we want to take it in a slightly grosser way, he explains in the next verse what is the form of the mind. The mind is nothing but thoughts. Of all the thoughts, the, the thought called I is the first thought. Therefore, what the mind essentially is, is the first thought I. So we can take Manatin Uruve to mean the first thought I, in other words, ego. But when we're investigating ego, ego is the mixed awareness, I am this body. What we are investigating is only the I am portion. As Bhagavan said, the essential chit element of ego we're investigating. So that is the, what he referred to in the previous verse as Manam Tan Oli Uru. The mind's own form of light, or chittam atmana had chitva, the mind's own uh, awareness. Uh, so that's what he's talking about here. When one investigates that, maravadu, uh, maravadu means without forgetfulness. That implies without pramada, without allowing our attention. When we focus our attention on something, if we want to meditate on something, if we want to meditate, for example, on Shiva, and then some other thoughts come. We, we, our thoughts come because we've forgotten that our aim is to meditate on Shiva. So, Maravadu here, not forgetting, implies not neglecting, not, not ceasing to investigate ourselves. So, in other words, uh, it's, it's referring to not succumbing to pramada, not succumbing to self-negligence. So, when the mind investigates itself without forgetting, if we investigate ourselves keenly enough, it will become clear that there's no, no such thing as mind. Manam enum ondrile. Uh, of course, Bhagavan puts it very uh, succinctly. He says, simply, when one investigates the form of the mind without forgetting, there's not anything called mind. That implies it will become clear, but there's not anything called mind. Um, uh, that manam enum ondrile. There's no such thing as mind at all. Um, Markum ne arkum idundipara. This idu, uh, idu uh, is uh, markum, markum means path, uh, ne, direct, the direct path, arkum. Arkum means for, for everyone, for anyone whomsoever. It means for whomever. So um, this is the direct path for everyone. Why does Bhagavan call it the direct path? Because what is our aim? Our aim is to know ourselves as we actually are. What is the direct means to know ourselves? If you want to, if you want to see something, what's the direct way to see it? Is to look at it. If instead of looking at it, you go and ask other people what it is, that's a very indirect way of doing it. So a direct way, if you want to see something, if you if you're given a book and you want to see what's written in it, what do you do? You open it up and you look inside. Likewise, if you want to see what we actually are. We need to turn back within and look in deep inside ourselves to see what we actually are. That is what Bhagavan is saying. So this, this is the direct path because we are directly attending to that to which we want to know. If you want to see something, you have to look at it. 
So looking at something is the direct way to see it. There's no other way to see it. Anything else is only indirect. You can take a, a, a you can ask someone to take a photograph. You can look at the photograph, but you're not actually seeing the thing. You're only seeing a photograph of it. So if you want to see something directly, if you want to see it as it is, you have to look at it. So in order to see ourselves as we actually are, we have to look at ourselves. That is why Bhagavan says this is the direct path. Some people nowadays talk about direct paths in plural. How can there, if between two points, point A and point B, there can only be one direct path. The straight line is the only direct path. So, ne'er uh, uh, means not only direct, it also means straight. It also means straightforward, honest. This is the honest path. Because why should we go beating around the bush? Um, when our aim is to know ourselves, we should investigate ourselves. We shouldn't. We, we, there's no need to go in a roundabout way doing mantras and tantras and all these other things. But simple, direct way, our aim is to know ourselves. So how do we know ourselves? By attending to ourselves. That's why Bhagavan says this is the direct path. Um, I, what he says in the Sanskrit version is um, more or less the same thing. Manasam to Kim, Margane Krite, Neva Manasam, Margamajabad. Um, manasam to Kim uh, uh, <clears throat> means uh, what the mind actually is. Marganekrite. That means when, when investigation is done, what the mind actually is. Margane um, here means investigation. Uh, when, when investigation is done, what this mind actually is, Neva Manasam. There's no mind at all. Margam um, Arjabat. That literally means the path because of straightness. That is the implication of that is this is the straight path. That, that is, this is the correct path because this is the straight path. The straightforward way to know ourselves um, is, is to attend to ourselves. So this is the this is the correct path. Because it is the direct path, it's, that's why Bhagavan expresses it like that in Sanskrit. Of course, it, it, he's to some extent he's constrained by uh, the poetic meter. That's why it's not an exact translation of the Tamil, but the implication is the same. This is the this is the path. Why is it path? Because of its directness, by its being direct, or or from from the fact that it is direct. This is therefore the path. Um. So this is again, like as in the previous verse, this is a very, a very clear description of the of the practice. We have to turn our attention. The implication of manasam to kim marganekrite. Uh, when investigation is done, what the mind is, uh, or in doing the investigation, what the mind is. It will be clear there's no such thing as mind. How do we do that investigation? How do we investigate the mind? If you want to investigate something, what is the primary tool of any investigation? Observation. If you're investigating something other than yourself, you need, um, you need the five senses. You, need, uh, you may need scientific instruments. You may need microscopes or telescopes, or you may need... Uh, forensic tests or something. There, there may be so many uh, means by which we investigate things other than ourselves. But even when investigating things other than ourselves, the basic tool 
we use is observation. Without observation, without attention, we can't know anything. To know ourselves, we don't need the five senses. We don't even need the mind. We don't need any instruments. All we need is simply to attend to ourselves. So we can investigate what the mind is only by attending to the mind itself. But when we attend to the mind, as Bhagavan will clarify in the next uh, um, verse, the mind is made, the term mind is often used as a collective uh, term to refer to the totality of all thoughts. But thoughts are constantly changing. The only constant thought is the thought called I. And in that thought, that thought called I is ego. In that thought called I, it is a mixture of chit and jada. What we are investigating is not the chit portion of, sorry, not the jada portion of ego, it's only the chit portion of ego. So in effect, we are attending only to the Chitva, what he referred to in the previous verse, Chittam Atmanaha Chitva, the mind uh, dashanam, the mind seeing its own uh, Chitva. That is what he refers to here, is investigating what the mind is. So it's only the, that essential Chitva that we are attending to. Um, and this is because this is the only direct path, this is the correct path, this is the best path of all. And other paths are all roundabout. Ultimately, no other path can lead to the goal. Other paths are useful to the extent to which they lead us to this path. But this path alone is the direct means to reach the goal. Other paths, all other paths are like tributaries. This path is like the Ganga. They, all other rivers, uh, uh, that is, uh, there's no one river in the world that uh, um, leads to the ocean. But supposing Ganga is the only river that leads to the ocean, all the other rivers are useful only to the extent that they flow into the Ganga, because only by flowing into the Ganga can the water flow into the ocean. So th this is the this is the one path that will enable us to merge in the ocean of uh, Satchidananda, our own real nature. So all other paths are useful to the extent to which they lead us to this path. That's why Bhagavan described in earlier verses, he described in verses um, three to eight, how other paths, how, how the path of bhakti, all the practices of bhakti, the puja, japa, and dhyana, will purify the mind and show the way to liberation. They sh they, by purifying the mind, it enables us to recognize that God is not something out there, something other than ourselves. God is what is shining in our heart as I. So it's only by meditating on God as not other than ourselves, as I alone, but we can know him as he actually is. So the path of bhakti leads to this path of vichara. Uh, Likewise, the the yoga path, if you, by, by restraining the breath, you can curb the activity of the mind. But if you merely curb the activity of the mind, you'll end up in layer. So rather than before you allow the mind to subside in layer, you then need to direct it towards the ekachintana, the thought of the one. Thought of ekachintana means atmachintana. Or in, in Tamil, he says, or very, the path of investigating. So all other paths are useful only to the extent 
but they lead to this path. If they don't lead to this path, if we go from some tangent, for example, seeking cities or all sorts of, I mean, people have all sorts of goals in life. If we seek any other goal than the annihilation of the ego, we get diverted. But if we, if our, if we are sincere about seeking the annihilation of the ego, this path is the only means. So all the other paths are useful only to the extent to which they lead us to this path. This is the direct path. Or because this is the direct, because of its straightness, this is the path. Bhagavan is, uh, expresses it very, very um, uh, emphatically here. This is the path because of its straightness. Are there any questions anyone would like to ask on that? Uh, so we have a question on YouTube uh, yes. from Mr. Vignesh Nagarad Nagarajan. Yes. Uh, and I shall read the question. Quote, yes. can we say anything other than consciousness is karma? Unquote. Consciousness is karma. Um, that's karma means action. Who is the doer of action? and the experience of the fruit of action. It is only ego. Ego, that is pure consciousness, consciousness in its pure form, doesn't do anything. The nature of consciousness is not doing, but just being. That is why it's called satchit. So the real consciousness never does anything. But doing is done by ego. Ego does actions because we rise as ego by taking ourselves to be this body. I am this body. That, is, that false awareness, I am this body, is ego. This body means, as Bhagavan says, the body is a form composed of five sheaths. So or any actions of any of these five sheaths, or we usually uh, talk about three instruments of actions, body, that, that mind, speech, and body. So in this context, the mind includes the... the the, the three of the five sheaths, the, 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 the <clears throat> Manamaya Kosha, Vijnanamaya Kosha, and Anandamaya Kosha. These collectively form the mind in this context. Speech is, 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 it involves the body. We cannot speak without using our voice. So it, it's a bodily action, but it's expressing the thoughts of the mind. So speech is something in between body and mind. And the body, the action of the body. So because we experience this body as ourself, whatever actions are done by this body, meaning including the mind, I experience by us as actions done by me. I am thinking, I am seeing, I am hearing, I am touching, I am tasting, I am um uh I, I like this, I dislike that. So all these um all the actions of the mind and the intellect and the will are all experienced by us as I. I I am alive, I am breathing, my heart is beating. So we identify with all these things. So we that that is identifying with the uh the, the pranamaya kosha. I am speaking, I am uh I am uh, expressing my opinion. That is the the uh, we are identifying with the speech. And I am sitting, I am standing, I am walking, I am running, or we identify with the actions of the body. So because we, because of this dehabimana, we become the doer of action. Because we identify ourselves with this body, we are the doer of actions. 
<coughs> so the doer of all actions is the is ego. As Bhagavan says in verse 38 of Uludunapdu, Vine Mudal Nam Ayin, Vile Payan Tweepom. If we are the doer of actions, we will experience the resulting fruit. So the doer of action is ego. The experiencer of the resulting fruit is ego. Ego is not pure awareness. Ego is what is called chidabasa. Chidabasa means it is a it is a, a semblance of awareness, a likeness of awareness, because ego has an element of awareness in it, which it borrows from Satchit. But ego is not aware of itself as it actually is. It's not aware of what is real. It's aware of only these appearances, this world, of the things that appear, but but uh, appear outside. Uh, uh, well, outside means even my thoughts and so on, all outside, everything other than ourself. So being aware of anything other than ourself is being aware of what doesn't actually exist, but only what seems to exist. So that is not real awareness. So that is why ego is called Chidabasa. Chidabasa, we can uh, interpret a basa in two contexts, in, in two senses. That is the deeper sense, the more, more basic sense of a basa is a likeness or a semblance. A secondary meaning is a reflection. Because when you see your, your when you look in a mirror and see your reflection, you're not seeing yourself, you're seeing a likeness of yourself. You're not seeing your face, you're seeing a likeness of your face. So, the, um, so uh, all reflections are likenesses. So the, the basic meaning of Chittabhasa is a likeness of awareness. It's only for this Chittabhasa that there is action and the fruit of action. So karma is only for ego. It is not for, for the pure awareness I am is ever untouched by action, not even a... As Bhagavan says in the 15th paragraph of Nana, well, there he's talking about God, but God is, he, what he's referring to there as God is our own real nature, Abma Sarupa, the, the, the pure awareness I am, that is ever unaffected by God, by, by, sorry, by karma. So uh, karma seems to exist only in the view of ego, which is a distorted form, uh, 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 an adjunct-bound form of the original pure consciousness for which there is no action at all. I hope this adequately answers that question. Ultimately, when we know ourselves as we actually are, know ourselves as pure awareness, we will know there's nothing other than ourselves. So in the final analysis, we can say, yes, everything is, everything is pure awareness. But so long as we see everything as many things, we are not seeing it as it actually is, because awareness is one and indivisible and immutable. So, so long as we are seeing multiplicity, we are not seeing ourselves as we actually are. So long as we are seeing change, we are not seeing ourselves as we actually are, because we are ever unchanging. So this, the, the state of pure awareness is the state in which we are not aware of anything other than ourselves. And so in that state, there is no karma at all. So karma is, 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 is quite unlike the nature of consciousness. The nature of consciousness is just being. Karma is doing. 
Um, but that doing couldn't exist without, couldn't even seem to exist without being. Right. Uh, Michael, uh, Michael, uh, just yes. quick, just quick intervention. Uh, <clears throat> Mr. Nagarajan's question is phrased as, can we say anything other than consciousness is karma? He is not uh, seeking an explanatory note on whether consciousness is karma, but whether anything other than consciousness is karma. Would you like to comment so, on that, please? Okay. There, there is nothing other than consciousness. Consciousness alone is what is real. But so long as we rise as ego, there seems to be this whole world in which karma and all these things have a place. These are all jada. Bhagavan says in the first verse of, of Upadesha Undiya, Upadesha Saram, uh, karma is jada. Um, uh, what's it in Sanskrit? It is um, uh, kartaragnya prapyade palam, karma kim palam, karma tat jadam. So karma is jada. But even the jada things, couldn't exist except with, as consciousness. Uh, that is the ultimate reality. But what appears as all these jada objects is only consciousness. But so long as we see jada objects, we are not seeing consciousness as it is. So I, I hope that answers that. Uh, uh, so ultimately, consciousness alone exists. That's why Bhagavan says in Uludunapta, in verse 13, jnana mam tane me, oneself who is jnana. Jnana in this context means pure awareness. Oneself who is pure awareness alone is real. Nana vam jnanam agnanamam. Awareness of multiplicity is ignorance. Even that ignorance doesn't exist independent of, uh, of oneself, who is jnana. So the jada things are appearances. Nothing could appear, no karma or any other jada object could appear except in the view of ego. And ego cannot appear except uh, ego seems to exist, seems, had borrows its seeming existence and its seeming awareness from the one real awareness, such it. So ultimately, everything else, everything is uh, resolved into, um, into such it. As it said in the, um, in the <coughs> Upanishads, it said, all, all of this is Brahman. Bhagavan clarified that. He said, all of this is ego. Hande, in verse 26 of Ulugunapadu, he says, if ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence. If ego doesn't exist, everything doesn't exist. Ego itself is everything. So ego is, ego is everything. I mean, all these things that appear, appear only in the view of ego. So they all depend for their semi-existence upon the semi-existence of ego. And ego depends for its semi-existence upon the real existence of pure awareness, such it, I am. So ultimately, the ultimate, sub, the, the immediate substance of all things is ego. The substance of ego is only such it. So the ultimate substance of all things 
is only Satchit. So nothing exists other than Satchit. So Satchit is the soul, is what alone actually exists, or everything else is just an appearance. There could be no appearance if there wasn't something that actually exists. That thing that actually exists is only Satchit, the fundamental awareness I am. Uh, Michael, we have uh, another question coming on YouTube from Neera Kashyapji. I yes. shall read the question. Quote, yes. Bhagavan has spoken of meditation as single-minded focus on one thought or form. Can this dissolve the ego? Unquote. Um, attending to anything other but, yes, meditation, in, in the usual sense in which the term meditation is understood it's focusing on one thought or one form all, all forms are thoughts all thoughts are forms so whether we say thought or form it amounts to the same but that cannot uh, annihilate ego the only meditation that will annihilate ego is swarupa dashanam that is not meditation on any form or thought but meditation on our own real nature so um meditating on a form, for example, meditating on a form of God, meditating or a name of God, is, um, for example, if we're meditating on Bhagavan's form, that will certainly purify the mind. But it, in itself, it will not bring about uh, annihilation of ego. People may say, oh, but it said, mere thought of Aranachala will bring about annihilation of ego. It's true. But so long as we are thinking of Varanatcha as a form externally, that form will work in our mind to turn our mind back within. It's only by meditating on Varanatcha in our heart as I, but ego will be annihilated. That is the deeper meaning of in the first verse of Akshramalai, Arunachala mena ahamainine pava ahateve rarupai Arunachala. That can be interpreted in two senses. That is, the Arunachala mena means as I, as Arunachala. Ahame has a double meaning. If we take aham in the Tamil sense of the word, aham means heart or home or, or mind. So ahame means those who meditate on you in the heart. But ahame also is a Sanskrit word that means I. So, Arunachalamana Ahamei means who, who, who think of you as I in the heart. So, it's, that is, if we think of the external form of Arunachala, that external form has a great power to turn our mind back within. As Bhagavan describes very beautifully in verse, um, verse 10 of, um, of Arunachala uh, Patikam. He, he describes there, um, the, the soul who thinks of it, even once, it will, it will uh, subdue the sheste, the outgoing activity of that mind. It will draw it within to face itself, and um, it will thereby make it, make it motionless like itself, and it will feed upon that that uh, that sweet uh, soul as Bali. Um, so the, if we think of Aranachala as in the name or form of Aranachala, that name and form has a power to turn our mind back within. 
likewise, the form of Bhagavan obviously has the same power because why did why did Aranacha take on the form of, of, of Bhagavan Ramana? Only to tell us to turn our attention back within. So uh, the mind can be destroyed only by by self-investigation. Bhagavan says it very clearly in so many ways. I mean, he's, he's made it clear in so many ways. Take, for example, um, uh, verse, um, verse 27 of Uludunapdu. What he says in verse 27 of Uludunapdu is, Nanudia uh, uh, Ullanile, Namaduvai Ullanile. That means the state in which one exists without I rising is the state in which we exist as that. So, in other words, the state in which we don't rise as ego, that is the state in which we are that. We are that means we are Brahman. And then he goes on to say, Nan Udikum Tanam Ade Nadamal, Nanudia Tan Irape Savdu Evan. Without investigating the place where I rises, how to reach the annihilation of oneself in which I does not rise. And without reaching that annihilation, how to stand in one's own state or the state of oneself in which oneself is that. So the, Bhagavan has made it clear in so many ways, but we cannot, we cannot um we, we cannot annihilate ego or we cannot dissolve ego except by turning our attention back towards ourselves. The reason is very simple. Ego is nothing but a false awareness of ourself. That is, as ego, we're always aware of ourselves as I am this person. I am um uh I am such I am such and such person, I am Michael or I am whoever. So uh uh, that so long as we are aware of ourselves as a person, we're not aware of ourselves as we actually are. When when we are aware of ourselves, in order to destroy the ego, because ego is a false awareness of ourselves, we can destroy it. It can be destroyed only by correct awareness of ourselves. So, in order to be aware of ourselves as we actually are, we need to be aware of ourselves. We 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 need to know what we actually are. So. We can know what we actually are only by investigating ourselves. By attending to anything else, we don't come to know what we are. If, if you want to know something, if you want to see something, you have to look at it. If you want to have tattva darshanam, you need to look at tattva. What is tattva? You yourself are tattva. So look at yourself. So it, the mind will be destroyed only by means of swarupa darshanam. Other forms of darshana, it's, oh, sorry, sorry, swarupa dhyana, sorry, it, it will be destroyed only by swarupa dhyana, by meditating on ourselves. Because only by swarupa dhyana can you have swarupa darshana, seeing yourself. But meditation on anything other than ourself may help to purify the mind if it is done with love, with, with love for God and without seeking any, any if, if it is, um, if it is action done for the love of God without seeking any fruit, in other words, if it's nishkarmiya karma, if your meditation is a nishkarmiya meditation done for the love of God, that will purify your mind and give you the clarity to understand that ego can be annihilated only by investigating who am I. I hope that make, that's a clear answer to that question.
Thank you, Michael. I think that is. Uh, Michael, we will have less than about five odd minutes now. So yes. uh, you might like to either uh, um, conclude or... Yes, I, I think it, now is the time to conclude. So um, today, unless anyone has any other questions, I'll, I'll just summarize again. But what is the what is the essential import of these two verses, 16 and 17? In 16, he's saying, the mind knowing its own chitva, uh, thereby being kept back from everything else, from all that is drissy, everything that is seen. So by, by seeing its own knowingness, we're keeping the mind away from all objects. And that is tattva darshanam, that is seeing what is real. So the, the implication of this is that in order to know what is real, we need to know ourselves, we need to investigate ourselves. So in this verse 16, he's pointing our attention away from all drisya, away from, we cannot know ourselves by meditating on anything other than ourselves, he's meditating on some some object that is drissia. We are not to meditate on the, any object. We are to meditate on the, our own awareness. That is the implication of verse 16, our own form of light, as he says in Tamil. And that alone is the real knowledge. That alone is the tatpadashanam. And verse 16, he's saying, uh, implying much the same thing. That is, that he's pointing to the same practice when he says, when investigation is done, what the mind actually is, how can we investigate the mind? So long as we are investigating thoughts, thoughts are object, they're drissia. So we're not investigating what the mind itself actually is. As he will, in the next time I'll talk about verse 18. What he says in verse 18 is that though the mind is, uh, the term mind is often used as a collective term to refer to all thoughts. Among all those thoughts, the one essential thought, the one basic thought, the first thought, is the thought called I, namely ego. That is what we need to investigate. And even in that ego, that ego is a is chit jada granti. It is a conflation of chit and jada. I am this body. So in, in that mixed awareness, I am this body, what we are to investigate is only the basic awareness, I am. That is what Bhagavan is talking about. So essentially, the path he's, point, he's describing in verse 16 and in verse 17, uh, it's the same path. So this simple path of self-investigation, turning our attention back towards ourself, Bhagavan has described in so many ways. But all these various descriptions, they're all pointing at one and the same path. He's pointing us to, but we need to direct our attention back towards ourselves, away from all other things, back towards ourselves to know who am I. This is Bhagavan's path. This is the path. This is the direct and simple and straightforward path that he has shown us. Because it is straight, this alone is the path, is how he concludes, is, is the implication of the final sentence of the of, uh, 17th verse in, in uh, Sanskrit, Margam Arjavat. Arjavat is giving a reason. Uh, Arjavat literally means from straightness. It implies because of straightness. Because of its straightness, this is the path. So uh, the, the only, that is, 
<clears throat> the only way to know ourselves is to investigate ourselves. All other parts, but Bhagavan never, never criticized any other part. What he's doing in the first 15 verses, he's pointing out limitations of other parts and showing how they must all, in order to reach the final goal, which is for Bhagavan uh, Moksha, the final goal is only uh, annihilation of ego. In order to achieve the annihilation of ego, the only means is self-investigation. Because only by investigating ourselves can we thereby surrender ourselves. And only when we surrender ourselves will he swallow us entirely. So this, this um, Bhagavan is, is unequivocal in that, but this is the only part. Other parts of meditation, they may be useful up to a certain point. They're useful to the extent to which they purify the mind. But the straight means to, but, but they, those other parts that purify the mind, by purifying the mind, they lead us to this path. That's why he says in verse, um, verse three of Upadesha India, Gati, um, but by, by nishkarmiya karma, but is done for the love of God, purifying the mind, it will show the way to liberation. The way to liberation is this simple path of self-investigation. So all other practices are useful only to the extent to which they point us, they lead us back to this simple path, this straight path of self-investigation. Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Arunachala Ramanaya. Namo Ramanaya. Uh, Mr. James, this is uh, this has again be a, been a very, very insightful session, sir. And uh, see, these are core teachings of Bhagavan we're dealing with now, the real essential teachings. So it's not anything I've said, it's what Bhagavan has said. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, before we uh, shift to the Kendra and uh, start with Akshar Madamalai, I just wanted to uh, reiterate to our devotees and Michael, this. This might be a new information for you. Yes. Uh, Raman Kendra Delhi has now uh, initiated Narayan Seva every first Sunday of the month. Uh, this uh, practice shall shall uh, continue uh, and uh, devotees are welcome to join, participate, contribute in whichever way or form they may so like. So that is very good. That Bhagavan was always in, in Raman Ashram. Ji. Food was always given freely to everyone. So Absolutely. That, that is very much, uh, um, just like Bhagavan shared his teachings freely with everyone, whatever he had was shared with all. So in the days, in, even from the Virupakshi days, when they were still living on begged food, Mm -hmm. um, in the early days, Bhagavan was begging his own food. In later days, the sad, sadhus who were with Bhagavan, they would go and beg food, they would bring it, and that begged food would be shared equally among all the visitors. Absolutely. So whoever, the food was never lacking in Bhagavan's presence. Very true, sir. But Very the true. ultimate food he gives us is the food of jnana. Absolutely, absolutely. He gives us food so that to make us give ourselves to him as food. So ultimately, Very we true. become food to him. Very true. Very true. <laughs>